Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We're also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get the fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw his son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls, on everyone, on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, this, heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. It's Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. Well, hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And this is episode number 35, and today we're going to be discussing the question of, are we in the last days? (laughs) I was expecting a different one. That was the wrong one. So, that is a a hot topic. I feel like it's been a hot topic really my whole entire life. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, I think it'll be good. yeah, no, I, I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation. I think this is going to be a two or three parter. So I think the next couple episodes will be on this. Um, specifically looking at the Olivet Discourse. And I would say the Olivet Discourse is probably one of the, one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. Um, you've got Joseph Smith, who's talking about a lot of the Olivet Discourse, um, with, with coming up with Mormonism or Latter-day Saint-ism. Ism, yeah, I think that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, 
the, yeah, there's there's a lot of misunderstanding around the Olivet Discourse. And so we just want to use this as the template and just look at being consistent with Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So I think it'll be good. Yeah. But before we jump in there, Andrew, inquiring minds want to know, what are you going to affirm and deny <laughs> that was about to burp. today? <laughs> All right. What am I going to affirm and deny? That is a question I'm asking myself. Um, I am going to affirm kind of the things that I've been learning about history lately. Mm. Um, we talked about it in one of our previous episodes recently. We talked about the Uncle Tom documentary. We did. That thing has just blown my mind. Yeah. Like it, I've watched it two entire times. Uh-huh. And I'm probably going to watch it again because I need to know, like I need to know what is in it because I need to be able to work my way through that. It, it's a complete shift, complete 180 of like everything that I was taught growing up in school. Yeah. And um Have you seen the second one yet? No. So the first one deals more politically. Mm-hmm. Um Republican Democrat. Mm-hmm. The second one deals more with Marxism and the introduction of Marxism. Yeah. Um, and how the that whole leftist movement is trying to establish Marxism as the new like way of bondage. Right. So Yeah. So But they're doing a third one now too. Really? Yeah, because the director um, in doing these and, and interviewing some of the people, he's like, wow, you know what? This actually has a spiritual, mm-hmm. like <laughs> this is, this is spiritually driven. Right. And, uh, we need to do a third one showing how like God is at work. God right. is doing something. And the third one's going to be that just showing how God's moving in the work. You know, he's working and moving in the midst of all that's going on. That's cool. Yeah, so it'll be good. Yeah, I um not only that, but like we've been going through stuff like um we did an episode fairly recently. I guess it was a few months back, but we did like feminism in the church. We've yeah. done um just stuff dealing with like how we handle certain situations and I think that uh, there's just been a lot of stuff that I've really been digging through for probably the last 2 or 3 months of stuff that like I learned either in the church or in school that was completely false. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the opposite of the truth, you know? And right. so I, 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 it's really been cool to kind of, um, it's, I, it's been mind bending, I guess. Yeah. To kind of work my way through that stuff. Right. But I'll affirm it. It's been a good thing. So awesome. All right. I'm going to affirm <clears throat> something that we're going to get into uh, in a future episode. But I'm going to affirm writing. Ah, yes. I am. I, I, I've I've taken the plunge. Mm-hmm. I've leaped into the deep end, and I am writing my first book. You did like you did the cannonball that I did at uh, at your mom's house that one day. I did. Where I did. like I didn't realize how shallow it was. <laughs> so I did well, a cannonball. But, but I did the reverse. Yeah, you, you did a cannonball into I, like a 100-foot pool. I did a cannonball, and now I'm like in the middle of the ocean. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm writing a book. Um, 
been talking with several people. I've had this desire for about three years and was like, uh, I don't know. I, I kept talking myself out of it, but um, the desire and the topic has continued to swell and grow and burn inside of me. And so I'm writing the book. Um, I don't know when it'll be out or <laughs> where. Um, <laughs> we're tossing all kinds of things yeah. around. We're looking at starting a publishing company. We're looking at Locust and Honey Press. We're looking at all kinds of things. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to get Andrew to write a book as well. Mm-hmm. Mine won't be our quite friend, as long. Our friend Jacob's writing a book. So, uh, trying to get some some written words out there. Just dealing with God's word. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. It's been really cool. Uh, three weeks in and I've got the outline done. So yeah. And you got the cover done. Got the cover done. Yeah. And the outline and, uh, and the outline was the, the hardest part is taking this beast of an idea in my head and trying to put a skeleton on it Mm -hmm. so that it can stand and move and walk. Um, was interesting, but I, I think I've got that whittled down to um, about where it'll be. So then I'm just going to start chopping the tree down one swing at a time, writing the chapters. And uh, but yeah, so I'm excited about it. Uh, I've been enjoying it, and so that's my affirmation: is writing. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn to deny something now. Tis. I'm going to deny the way that my legs feel. Actually, I'm going to deny my way the way my whole body has felt for the past like week. Because you're old. Yeah. No, I I it started well. It really started like a week or so ago, maybe a little longer. Where I just I think it's because we were on a routine of like waking up Being at five. Active. Yeah. Well, we'd wake up at like early, like at yeah. five thirty or something. We go to the gym at like six, and then we work out and that's how we'd start our day and then like probably a little over a week ago we kind of fell off and i well i i like i still would go to the gym but it would be like later in the morning and i wouldn't wake up until like seven and so i've noticed because i've been trying to figure it out i'm like why am i so tired i think that's why i think it's because i'm sleeping in a little bit later which I would think would give me more energy, but it's it's not because like my it's throwing like I think it's just throwing my body off of its rhythm. Yeah. And it's like so today I woke up earlier. I woke up at five thirty. And well actually <laughs> I woke up at this is what happened last night. <laughs> I went to bed at a reasonable hour and then our dog Millie had to go to the bathroom at like three thirty and she woke me up. So I took her out to go to the bathroom and then when she got in her kennel, she just like started chewing on her toy and it sounded like rolling waves in the sea, but like not in the peaceful way, like in the obnoxious way. So you didn't enjoy it? I did not. That's what was going through my head. Yeah. And so I didn't actually go back to sleep until probably 4.45. So I ended up waking up at like, 5.45 instead of I plan on waking up at a little bit. Anyway, but I got up and I forced myself to go to the gym even though it was late mm-hmm. and um, 
I feel a lot better today. So yeah. Anyway, um, then I did leg day on Monday. This is a long denial, and so my legs feel absolutely terrible today. So it's like a weird denial. I'll deny how my body felt, but it's also feeling a little bit better. But it's still it's kind of rough. So you deny that you're starting to feel better. I deny that I felt bad in the first place. Yeah, deny. There you yeah, go. there we go. Consistency is key. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what do you deny? Um, I deny. Hmm. I deny. I gave you a long time to think. You did, but I was listening. I was being an active listener <laughs> and not an active thinker. Um, all right, I'm going to deny the way people interpret the Olivet Discourse. <laughs> Man, that works out great. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> so, what an act of providence. With, with that... <laughs> segue laid in our lap (laughs) let's talk about the Olivet Discourse all right what is the Olivet Discourse well the Olivet you go ahead (laughs) Andrew's the host today so let's build up to the Olivet Discourse let's do that let's do that so we've titled our episode um, is this well not is this the is this the end (laughs) We've had our episode, Are We Living in the Last Days? Um, and so what we're talking about there is a thing called eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things or the study of the last days. <clears throat> and so, like we've said, it's a very widely discussed, widely, I mean, millions and millions of copies of books are sold every, I don't know, five years about this topic. And so um, why is it, what is the proper place for eschatology? Is eschatology important? And why is it important? Yeah. Or not important? So I think it's important. Um, the end drives us, right? Like right. How, what we see about the end. If you look at Revelation, I mean, there's a promise that comes with reading and understanding the book of Revelation. Right. And so uh, it's it's absolutely important. Um, now, within the church, so you've got issues that arise in the church, and they are uh, primary, secondary, and tertiary issues, right? So a primary issue that would arise within the church would be um, if you disagree on primary issues, that's... Uh, where heresy comes into play, right? Mm-hmm. So if I said, there is no Holy Spirit, um, I believe that God is God and I believe that Jesus is his son, and uh, but I don't believe that there's a Holy Spirit, right? right? I'm denying the third person of the Trinity. If I was to hold to that, then me and you would have a primary issue and we could not, um, not only could we not fellowship together in the church, but like, I'm a heretic, right? Mm. Like I'm speaking against the gospel um, because the Bible makes it very clear that uh, there is one God in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being. And um, 
And so that is a primary firsthand issue. Then there are things like secondhand issues. Secondhand issues would be uh, baptism, right? So you say, hey, Matt, I, um, when I have my first baby, we're going to baptize him because he will be um, a confessional child. What are they called? Uh uh, not conf- covenantial. Covenant- yeah. Covenantial child. Yeah. So I'm going to baptize him. Um, and I'm like, huh, why are you going to do that? And you're like, well, because circumcision in the Old Testament, they were circumcised on the seventh day and baptism is the new circumcision. And you hold to that and you baptize your kid. Uh, now, me and you might disagree on that, but we agree on scripture. Mm-hmm. So we can partner together in ministry, but we're probably not going to go to the same church, right? You're going to become a Presbyterian and I'm going to be a Baptist. And we can fellowship together about the word. We can talk about theology. We can talk about missions. We can talk about all kinds of stuff, but we're going to disagree on a couple things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's tertiary, which is third-hand issues. And these are issues that people in the same church can still disagree on. Uh, and eschatology is one of those tertiary issues. Um, me and you can completely disagree on what the end is going to look like, but we both agree that Christ is the only hope we have in salvation, and we both agree that he's returning mm-hmm. at some point, at some time, in some way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, so it is a tertiary issue. It's a third-hand issue, um, which means— you know, this is not something I'm going to hold on to with all of my vigor, mm-hmm. you know, because I could be wrong. Um, so the way that I try to deal with eschatology, what we know about the end times, is I want to be as consistent as possible. Um, I I don't want to be doing backflips and contortions to make passages fit together. You know what I mean? I want to look from Genesis to Revelation and see what is the most consistent and, um, and, and what makes the most sense, not with what I was taught, but with what the Bible says. I want that, you know? And, uh, and so whatever ends up being the most consistent is what I'm going to go with. And we could talk in five years and I'm like, you know what? Um, Having grown in my faith and reading the word, I believe this to be more consistent. But um, where I'm at, having studied the word, having looked through all of this, um, what we're going to go through in the Olivet Discourse uh, is what I believe to be the most consistent and makes the most sense. And um, like I said, what what the end, knowing the end is kind of fuel for where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. So the way that we see and the reason I think there's a promise in Revelation is when we understand that we are more than conquerors, um, it drives us now to act as such. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, that's kind of my my um, disclaimer before we get into this is if you disagree, that's fine. And and we can talk about it and we can, we can um, still love each other and fellowship together. Um, yeah. But... I would encourage somebody, everybody that's listening, to listen through this and and let God's word consistently speak. Um, that's my desire is for the word of God to be 
the master, the one that is teaching us and consistently teaching us so that we're not taking things out of context. Because I think a lot of times we go to the word with a preconceived understanding of what it should be. So like, we're like, okay, this is where I stand. I'm in this camp. I'm in that camp. I'm in this Mm -hmm. thought. I'm in that thought. So God's word has to fit into my box. Right. Right. So I'm a uh, premillennial. I'm a postmillennial. I'm an amillennial. I'm a this, I'm a that. And, and so, and the reason I'm that is because I trust this person, this person's premillennial, this person's amillennial, this person's postmillennial, and I trust them. And so I know they're right. So when I read scripture, it has to fit in this box. But what, what, what we need to do is allow God's word to be the box, you right. know, like it's going to speak to me and I'm going to believe what God's word says. Um, and, and so then the, the burden is on us to be the most consistent to read and understand his word. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's something too, that, you know, doesn't, is not contained to just eschatology. I mean, everything that we think through. Yeah. I remember, you know, there were points in my life and I feel like I've matured since this, this point, but I remember there were times where there'd be passages that I avoided because, you know, the thought was, okay, I grew up learning this. I don't know what this passage means. I can see that it does not agree with what I grew up with. If you read it at face value, which means there must be some interpretation of it that I can't understand. So I'm just going to avoid it right? and just kind of not deal with it because it's just, it's, it's God's ways are higher than our ways. And that's just one of those passages. It's higher than our ways. Yeah. And that is a bit of an well, excuse. I I've, think. Yeah. I've, I've heard know? that a lot um, um, from numerous different people, but they're like, you know, um, God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't know right. all about God. And that's true on aspects of who he is that we right. can't fathom, but he has given us his word and he has, the call is to study, to show ourselves approved mm-hmm. so that we can give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Right. right. Um, I think when it comes to theology, when it comes to understanding who God is, um, we can definitely spend time in his word and allow it to speak for itself um, without hiding behind. Well, I can't know everything. Right. You know, Agreed. That's right. Agreed. Yeah. We yeah. can't, but you, we can know a lot more than we do know. Right. So I like people like Jonathan Edwards, who he documented his whole life for the purpose of better studying the word. So he would each day, he would keep a journal of what he ate and how long he slept and see how he felt the next day to be able to read longer and study longer. And if there were foods that helped, that helped him to do that more, he would eat that more. And if there are foods that made him drowsy, he wouldn't eat those. Uh, he got his exact sleep time figured out, and he would sleep that long each night so that he could spend more hours studying the Word of God. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of us can be doing better than right. what we're doing. Yeah. Um. And and, and so that's kind of what I, I want this um this little series in the Olivet Discourse to to do is to spur us to to study the Word for ourselves mm-hmm. and. If you agree with us, that's awesome. And if you don't, that's awesome too. We love to talk about it. You know, come to right. us if you got questions. Um, we would love to answer them. All right. So on that note, um, I would say the Olivet Discourse might be one of those passages for some folks where it's like, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so we're going to dive into it. And um, before we do, what 
what is the context that, that we need to have a, a clear, proper understanding of the words that we're going to read in the Olivet Discourse that Jesus actually speaks? Yeah, so um, the way that I kind of recommend breaking this down is, so the Olivet Discourse um, starts in Matthew 24, and it's Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Um, it's a very, most people have heard all of a discourse, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people, uh, have probably read parts of it, but I think there's most people, I wouldn't say most, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that haven't just read through the all of a discourse. Uh, and if they have their mind kind of glosses over and they just kind of go into this, okay, I'm just reading, but they're not mm-hmm. actually comprehending. And so that's what I want us to do is just kind of break down. Let's just kind of work through the Olivet Discourse and allow it to speak for itself. Um, what I would say we do today is just do a, a, a preface kind of leading up to Matthew 24 so that we can understand the backstory. Yep. Um, because there's a lot going on and the Olivet Discourse doesn't just... It's not just the the start of a book, mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah. like you open up a novel and you start at the beginning. Um, Matthew 24 is not the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, this story started back in Genesis, um, and, and then it's got us to here. But specifically in the book of Matthew, we've got 23 chapters leading up to this, right. you know? So I'm going to give a little bit of backstory, what's going on in the Olivet Discourse, and um, there's a lot going on uh, <laughs> leading up to this. So. Yeah. So for some of the preface, um, Jesus is wreaking havoc amongst the Jewish people leading up to this. Um, Matthew 21 through Matthew 24, Jesus is um, indicting the the covenant breakers um, in a whole bunch of different ways. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's laying out all the woes. Woe to you. Um, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers, you, all these things, right? Um, he's, he's just, he's letting them have it. Uh, he's also giving a bunch of parables, um, and, and he's just bringing an indictment on the covenant breakers. Um, he's attacking leadership in Matthew 23. Uh, you kind of, you, you, you started off with a parable, um, and then after that, there's another parable, and we'll read that in a second. But I'm going to start Matthew 23, uh, verse 29. He says, What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Filled up then and measured of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in the synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed of the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachai." whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Barakiah. Barakiah, yeah. 
pronouncing these like I got a girl in my youth group. Mm. Anytime that there's names, we yeah. all want her to read because yeah. it's entertaining. <laughs> so that was a, a tribute to her. Um, Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who, um, who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so you've got, um, he's, he's attacking the leadership. He's attacking uh, these covenant breakers and, um, and, and he's wielding a sword in doing this, you know? Now, when we say covenant breakers, we're meaning people who have broken the covenant of the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant. Yeah, we're it, it's going to unpack itself. Okay. Um, we're doing a little foreshadowing here. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, um, but yes, these people have broke a covenant with God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these people have persecuted uh, God's prophets. They've they've um, been doing all these things, and so um, we see Christ. He's going after the leadership. He's going after these covenant breakers. He's wielding this sword. And then we see him uh, cleansing the temple. Um, This is one of those stories people talk about Jesus cleansing the temple and they completely miss what's going on. Uh, It's very important that we have just as much of an understanding of the Old Testament as we have of the New Testament. I think there's a lot of people that like to read the New Testament, but they don't read the Old Testament because they don't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, there's even people that think the Old Testament does not apply to us today. So mm. um, there is, what are they called? Like uber dispensationalist? I forget what they're called. But <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, oh, Uber a hyper dispensationalist. Hyper dispensationalist. So hyper dispensationalists would say that the only Bible passages that apply to the church, to us today, are the Pauline epistles. Mm-hmm. Nothing else applies to us. Everything else is to Israel. And um, and so, um, but we need to have a healthy understanding of the Old Testament. Um, all of God's word is breathed out and all of God's word is profitable for teaching and preaching and rebuke and all of that. And all of God's word, when they're saying that, what were they talking about then? Oh, you're asking when, me. Yeah, when Jesus says all of God's word or not a jot nor tittle mm-hmm. will pass away or when Paul says, or when Paul says, um, you know, that, that all of God's word is profitable for teaching and reproof and all of that, what were they talking about? Were they talking about the Bible that we have today? No, they're talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, they're talking about yeah. the, the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to understand the Old Testament because I've said this a lot, but the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Um, and all of God's word together is, is needed. So we've got the cleansing of the temple. Why have you... What have you heard when people talk about the cleansing of the temple? Like, what's the point of it? Well, I, I think most times it comes up when people are talking about the fact that Jesus um, showed a righteous anger yeah. towards uh, those who were selling uh, 
goods and services in the marketplace, which are in the uh, in the marketplace in the uh, temple, mm-hmm. which then people then will go to apply to churches and people will use it to to talk about tithing and people who don't like tithing and stuff like that. People, there's just a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but a lot of it comes down to Jesus showing like a righteous anger and just that being part of his character. A good question that we can ask is why did Jesus do this? Why? Mm-hmm. You know, what made him so righteously angry that he's uh, throwing tables around in the temple you yeah. know, and making a whip, sitting there making a whip and then he goes in and starts whipping people and merchants and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. uh like he's just sitting there looking at him, making a whip. <laughs> he's like, uh, you're just wait. To, you're, just, you're gonna get it. Um but yeah. why is he doing that? Um and why did he do it twice? Yeah. Like a lot of people don't understand that, but uh he did it twice. Um and he cleanses the temple twice. John chapter two, verses thirteen through twenty-two. We see Jesus cleansing the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And then in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are um, the synoptic gospels. But in those three, we see him in the last week of his life cleansing the temple again. So he cleanses it at the beginning of his ministry. And then the last week right before he's crucified, he cleanses the temple a second time. Um, And, and, what is that showing us? Um, Leviticus 14, 33 through 55. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to kind of tell you what it says. So Leviticus 14 is um, God is establishing laws with his people. And we're looking at ceremonial law. We're looking at uh, cleanliness laws, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, But this is one of those cleanliness laws. And it's what to do in a house that's diseased. So in a diseased house, um, the priest shall cleanse the house and he shall cleanse it twice. If it is still diseased after that, the house shall be torn down brick by brick until no stone is left atop another. Then all the stones and wood are destroyed and replaced with new material. That is what Jesus is doing to Israel. He is acting as the high priest and he's cleansing the temple once. He comes back and the disease is still there. So he cleanses it a second time. If the disease remains, then that house or the temple is to be torn down brick by brick until no stone left standing on another. And it is replaced and built with a new material. So D- Jesus does this to Israel. Um, and the the cursed fig tree, you know, um, that same week when he curses the fig tree, mm-hmm. that is, uh, the cursed fig tree is Israel. His promise, it's his promise of destruction on Israel. And he then starts challenging them. Uh, the parable of the vineyard, which is what you read, um, where he's, he's taking from you. Uh, you know, uh, you've got the, that's in, Matthew, Matthew 21, 21. Mm-hmm. but, uh, but so you've got the parable of the vineyard and, um, the tenants took his servants and they beat one. They killed another. They stoned another. Again, he sent out other servants more than the first. They did the same thing. Um, these tenants are Israel. The servants that are being sent out are the prophets 
and they're continually being beaten, they're being killed, they're being uh, all of that. And so then Jesus says, um, they took him and threw him out of the vineyard. Um, Let's see. Uh, Finally, he sent his son, which is Christ, um, to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and we can have his inheritance. They took him, they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So Jesus is asking that of the disciple or of the, uh, of the, um, of the leaders of Israel. Uh, you got the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of them. Um, and he's asking, what will the, what will the, the guy do when he comes? And they said, he will put those wretches out to a miserable death and let the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. What is Jesus's response to them? The stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And to the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because he was. And yeah. uh, and so a lot of people, though, they hear this and, and they don't come to the same conclusion that the Pharisees came to, you know? Yeah. Huh, I think Jesus is talking about us. Right. Um, because he was talking about them. And then you go on the next parable, the parable of the wedding feast. And I'll read that real quick too. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying in a parable, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So let me just kind of let you know what's going on here. Um, the the king inviting the people to come to the wedding feast of his son is God the Father. The son is Christ. And the people that he's inviting is old covenant Israel. Mm-hmm. They've been invited to this wedding feast, but they will not come. Uh, again, he sent other servants. These are the prophets saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servant, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And so, um, so consistently we see this is what's going on. Um, so, uh, that's what Jesus, you know, that, that whole Leviticus, uh, the high priest and, cleansing the temple twice, and then when it's not clean, then the house shall be torn down brick by brick until no stone is left on top of another. Then all the stones and wood destroyed and replaced with new material. Jesus is doing that to Israel. So now Jesus declares judgment on Israel, judgment coming on the first generation, and this is in 23. 
So Matthew 23, which is leading up to the Olivet Discourse, um, which is what I read, uh, starting in verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you together um, as a hen gathers her brood under her wing and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, and so, um, your house has left you desolate. All the blood of this generation is on who it's on Jerusalem. Um, which is why he's saying Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? So, um, then something interesting, uh, going back to old Testament, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapters 10 and 11, uh, you can go back and read this to to verify that what I'm saying is true. But what happens in Ezekiel chapter 10 and chapter 11 is God departs the temple to the east and rests on the closest mountain. Um, and then he tells Ezekiel to prophesy the destruction of the first temple. Uh, so Ezekiel is a prophet and God departs the temple to the east, and he rests on the cl- uh, closest mountain, which is the Mount of Olives. If you're looking at where that's at, it's the Mount of Olives. And he tells Ezekiel to prophesy the destruction of the first temple. So now Yahweh in the flesh, Christ, is telling them they have broken covenant, and they are about to be judged. And he, then he departs to the east, the same direction, and he rests on the same mountain, the Mount of Olives. Mm. And then he gives the Olivet Discourse. Yeah. So we're, it's the same exact thing that's happening. In the first destruction of the temple, Ezekiel prophesies it, and um, God departs, rests on the mount. Now the second destruction of the temple um, is, is happening. But what happens in Leviticus after the temple is, after the house that's diseased, once it's destroyed twice, it's got to be replaced with new material, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, and, and so, um, so Matthew 23, verses 35 and 36. Um, verses 35 and 36 says this. So that on you may come all of the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. So on you may come all of the bloodshed. Um, basically, what he said, I say to you, all these judgments will come upon this generation, Jerusalem. Right? That's what he's telling them. Yeah. Uh, the focus in verse 37 is on Jerusalem. In verse 38, your house is the temple. So verse 38, um, he's saying, see your house is left to you desolate. That house that he's talking about is the temple. That was the the house of the Lord for Jerusalem, for God's Old Testament covenant people. Um, Matthew 24, verses one and two. I'll just start off there um, before we get into it. But um, this is the start of the Olivet Discourse. Here's what it says. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the building of the temple. But he answered them, 
You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus leaves the temple and he's going away to the east, to the Mount Mount of Olives. And his disciples come up to him and they point out the buildings of the temple. So they're looking at all these big buildings. They're looking at them and all that stuff. But he answers them, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And uh, so Jesus is bringing judgment to the covenant breakers. This is an inescapable, or it's an escapable local judgment. And um, if you look at verse 16, it shows us that this is escapable. Um, but it says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Um, this judgment that's coming, people can flee if they see the judgment approaching. Um, so I feel like I've spewed a lot. What are your thoughts? Yeah. On some um, of this? Well, I think it's interesting. Um, the, and this was kind of going to be my last, uh, well, one one thing on that too, with the escapable judgment, I believe it's in Luke, um, who is kind of telling this yeah. as well, and well, it says and so when that's yeah. what my next notes are. Let's compare Matthew twenty four to Luke twenty one mm-hmm. because they're side by side parallel passages, yeah. and I think that'll be good to get into at the beginning of the next one yeah. when we can actually start digging into the yeah. all of it discourse. So yeah, I mean, it's I, I think. The thing that jumps out to me here is just the biblical consistency. Um, like we were saying before, there are times in our theology or our walk with theology, there are times in our walk with Christ where we might be in a place in our theology where we say to ourselves, all right, I'm going to avoid that passage because I cannot, um, that does not fit in with what I believe to be true. And I would say if we're doing that, that's, probably a red flag of where am I getting my belief? And if scripture contradicts it, there's a problem there. Right. One of the things that is so powerful about, um, about this theology, this way of working through this passage is that it agrees with the rest of scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. And that was kind of going to be my last question that we really dig into today is, you know, we've, we have read um, lots of Old Testament passages. We've talked about a lot of symbolism. We've talked about a lot of uh, stuff that I'm sure to whoever's listening, who maybe if, if, if someone has not ever thought through this or heard this, they're going to have to chew on a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. Um, well, not yet. Now, yeah. They're about um, to have to. Yeah. When we get into... Well, even just now, what we've talked about, there's a lot of stuff in there that is contradictory to what a lot of, I would say, dispensationalists would hold to. Well, so, like, Um, for those that don't really know what the Olivet Discourse is, mm -hmm. um, you've got the foretelling of the destruction of the temple, then you see the signs of the end of the age, and then you see the abomination of desolation— then you see the coming of the Son of Man. You see the lesson of the fig tree. No one, no one knows the day or the hour. Um, and then you see the parable of the ten virgins 
and the parable of the talents and then the final judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is what we're going to be digging into. Yeah. Is, is that. Yeah. Um, And just to kind of give some foreshadowing, um, we looked at Leviticus this week, um, but next week we're going to, we're going to really dig into several passages. Um, We're going to be looking at Revelation. We're going to be looking at Daniel, a lot of Daniel, Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter nine, um, a lot of things in Daniel. Um, like I said, Revelation, we're going to be looking there. Galatians, Hebrews, 1 Corinthians. Um, we're going to be looking at the tale of two cities, um, the prostitute drinking the blood of the saints and the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff we're going to be looking at. And like I said, my hope is just for this to be biblically consistent you yeah. know um so I, I i don't think this episode was very controversial mm-hmm. uh, i think we're just laying the groundwork uh for for what is going on leading up to this what's christ been doing in his ministry um and and how is that significant compared to old testament right and new testament and you know what's going on there and so i i think we do need to lay that groundwork that there is um he's not just randomly doing things he's right. very systematically doing things why is he doing that mm-hmm. and so as we get into this we're going to really dig into that well and i guess you know as as we dig into that and even going through stuff we've already talked about um what would your answer be to someone who would say well, that's just your interpretation, you know? Yeah. Um, I think to a degree, that's true. I think to another degree, though... But why is it my interpretation? Right, you yeah. Know? Um, and, and, and we'll get into this more, but mm-hmm. the reason that I interpret all of this is because I believe it to be the most biblically consistent, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm interpreting scripture as it is meant to be interpreted. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, you've got some people that um, that they don't um, because it's got to fit with an understanding, mm-hmm. right? So um, they, they come with an idea of it can't be saying this, so what is it saying? And And what I hope to argue is if you look at all of scripture, this is what it's saying. Mm-hmm. You can disagree with that. And I'm going to think you're wrong, <laughs> you know, but we can, yeah. we can still love each other and we can still partner together and we can still worship the Lord together right. in, in the same church even, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but this is one of those things that I, I think wrestling through it just helps everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I, I don't think, and so, like, if I'm teaching this, I'm I'm going to teach it. Here's what the Bible says. Here's some ways that this has been looked at over time. What do you find to be the most biblically consistent? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, because for me, as a youth pastor, I, I'm not the pastor of these kids, and I'm not their parent. Mm-hmm. You know? Like especially with youth, like their main pastor is their fathers. And so I'm not going to teach them a way that I see scripture 
because I'm not their father. You know what I mean? So I'm going to consistently, here's what God's word says. Here's how that's been understood. Here's a couple, you know, uh, theologically sound ways that that's been understood over over the history. Um, And and, and I'm going to allow them to wrestle with that with their parents and work through it together. Yeah. Um, But, so yeah, this is something that people can disagree on. But I think when we study it, it helps everybody. Oh, yeah. Which is why we wanted to do it. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, um, I'm excited to, to dive into it. I, I wish we could have just dove in today. But yeah. I, I think having, uh, this is one of those things that it's like drinking water from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just too much if you don't break it into bite-sized pieces. Right. Um, so, these next couple episodes, you might want to listen and re-listen and, and kind of work through them. And um, we we are open for questions. If you guys have questions or if we need to, to drill down into one specific area, um, shoot us an email, info at locustandhoney.net or reach out to us on Facebook. Uh, we got a Facebook group, Locust and Honey uh, Podcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter. We're not really on Twitter much. And TikTok. And yeah, but not yet. Yeah. And we're going to be on YouTube. Yeah. Because we have a face for video. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, That's what my wife tells me. Yeah, mine too. All right. Well, if you guys are still here, <clears throat> we love you guys. And thank you for listening. Um, share these episodes with your friends. Share them with family. Um, let's strike up some conversations and... Uh, all of us dig into the word. That's why we do this. So uh, we love you. Have a good Lord's Day and we will talk to you next week. Mm, Bye-bye. Bye-bye.